0: This podcast is sponsored by Bailey Gifford. Their podcast series, Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking, brings you in-depth knowledge and challenging points of view from Bailey Gifford's investment managers. Search online for Bailey Gifford Short Briefings.
1: Hello, and welcome to another edition of the NMA Podcast. I'm Jack Gilbert, News Editor, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Chief Executive of Embark, Phil Smith. Phil, thanks for joining us.
0: Hey, Jack. It's a pleasure to talk to you as always, and uh, wonderful to see you rocking a full-on FinTech look on this podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Phil. Thank you very much. We are, we are w- all working from home at the moment, so that's one, one of the benefits, definitely. Um, so, so, Phil, obviously, you're coming off the back of a, of a fairly fairly busy 2019, in which you acquired two platforms, the Alliance Trust Savings Advice Book and the Zurich Wrap platform in addition to a fundraising from four fund managers and alongside a fundraising from FNZ. And now to top that all off, you've had a, a global pandemic to cope with. So I can imagine you've had some fairly no- late nights uh, managing all of this.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, like it's been a, a unique period. I think it's the best way to describe it, Jack. Uh, no one would wish a pandemic on, uh, on the world, and uh, let alone any single country. Uh, but I've got to say, I think we're, uh, we're pretty much uh, in line with most of financial services, in the kind of method of dealing with that, the focus on client execution rather than self-interest has been high. I've been really impressed around the market uh, with the move towards well-being for employees as well, and uh, and really the the ability to, to adapt. Um, we were in a in a very fortunate position when uh, this stuff all kicked off because we'd spent many years building a cloud-based infrastructure. Uh, as you know, we have a platform which doesn't require wet signatures and uh, is highly straight through. Um, and we have the get for our troops to take our from home as if they were in the office. So that, those kind of past investments really paid off for us. Uh, but really, the ability to handle it all was driven by the attitude of our people. Uh, mm-hmm. They've been first class throughout. They've uh, worked flexibly. They've put in the hard yards to keep their colleagues whole as well as themselves. And uh, that's really been what it's been all about for us. Uh, we certainly haven't missed a beat in terms of operating performance uh, and service levels. Uh, we've never had to turn the phones off and, and all that good stuff. Uh, we've been uh, smooth throughout and and actually surprisingly our business volumes, uh, writing gross and net new business have been uh, in the norm category as has normal transacting. So, uh, Whilst it's been a bit of a change, it's uh, it's actually been quite a nice change in some ways mm-hmm. um, because it showed that our PC plans work, our uh, our tools work, our execution work, and that our staff are fully committed. So I'm uh, mm. actually very happy.
1: Yeah, interesting. I, I guess on the on the technology side of things, so you you were quite one of the later platforms to actually join the market. I guess you reformed it, was it 2013 you came into
0: the market? 2013 we started Embark and it was only really in 2015 when we started using our platform tools, first with Nutmeg and then 2017 before we first touched the IFA market with them.
1: But I guess, you know, if if you compare yourself to other platforms out there, other pension administrators as well, I mean a lot of those businesses have been around for, for decades really. Um, oh,
0: oh other- yeah. I, it's a jump and a joke, Yeah, I mean, we, we had a great advantage of having a black sheet of paper to think about the infrastructure. And uh, we, we entered at a time when technology had evolved enough to do cloud based uh, server storage, to do soft phones, to do um, kind of mobile transactional capabilities and, and uh, electronic signatures. So we just embraced that very early on. We were very, very fortunate in our timing. Mm. And if we look at the, the,
1: the situation during lockdown, Obviously, you've had to cope with the pandemic itself, but it's also my understanding you've actually advanced or would, um, advanced the, uh, the, the platform Advance, as it's now known, um, and, and migrated uh, the, the old Zurich platform onto a new front
0: end. Uh, is that, is yeah, that- yeah, so a big part of the really positive deal we did with Zurich was to remove all branding activity, and we had to separate some of the operating mechanics from other providers, Capita being a, a big example of that, so we couldn't make the deal complete without a major degree of change, and particularly around tech and ops uh, and the workflow processing of what we do, but really, really branding as well. So we, uh, we put five months of sweat into preparation as a joint team um, and put ourselves in a point of res- readiness where we could turn off the Zurich systems uh, on the last trading day before completion. We did that at 5.01 in the afternoon. We switched back on again at 12.01 the following morning, having transferred uh, everything effectively, uh, branding, uh, all of the artifacts of the platform, a lot of the workflow processing on the front end. We changed the uh, order routing on a lot of the ops processing and successfully communicated electronically with the whole client base and their IFAs during that window. Uh, And it went incredibly smoothly. Uh, Now, would I choose to do that again in a period of, of lockdown? Absolutely not. Um, But it was a necessity to get uh, things done. And and again, it's just another sign of if you're focused, you know what you're doing, you have the experience of doing it, and you communicate well and plan well, uh, you can achieve many things. You don't have to be in a physical office to do it. Did you
1: think think that, was there a discussion saying, you know, because of lockdown because of coronavirus we shouldn't do this we shouldn't go ahead with
0: this front front-end migration Oh, absolutely so uh on a daily basis you, you're always looking at the go no-go decisions on these kind of transactions uh given the consumer scale of the now advanced platform we talked to the fca to get their views on, on uh change and migration during the process they were incredibly helpful got to say uh a weekly flipping away from zurich we were having similar conversations and similar data reviews on our ATS activities, which we we have taken a different tack and paused a lot of the change on ATS. But that's largely because the a number of the ATS client activities are of a brokerage nature. So the big determinant there is putting clients through a trading blackout period, whilst you uh, kind of migrate and settle from system to system. And that we felt was a step too far in the heat of, uh, of the lockdown to uh, put consumers through that risk. So we, we talked to the FCA about it and our counterparts at Interactive Investor and put a no-go decision on some of those migratory points, which we'll do in subsequent weeks to come. Uh, mm. But if you put if you put consumers first and you use common sense as your filters and you review your decision points every day in the run-up to these things, and crucially, you're not frightened to change your mind, then uh, these things tend to go okay.
1: Mm. Mm. And and I guess were you thinking kind of after lockdown now for some for most of that uh, ATS migration work? Or, you
0: know? I think I think uh, I, well personally don't want to drag us into the politics of it, but I think we'll have some degree of similar lockdown for quite a period to come just yet. So the market volatility that we saw in the early stages of COVID has gone away to some degree. So that that could well turn us into a position where we do start to. Uh, turn back on the migration taps for certain parts of the book, maybe not for others. Um, so it's not going to be a case where we wait for COVID to be completely finished, because that's not realistic. Um, so I do think within the the next couple of months we will have uh, turned back on and have largely completed the process if things stay as they currently are, Jack. Mm. And I
1: guess for, for our readers, the advisors out there. Obviously, if you look at Embark, you know, there's a lot of different strands to it. You've got, now you've got the Zurich platform, the ATS platform, in addition to your, obviously, SIP and SAS business, and then the, 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 the original uh, Embark platform itself. Um, can you talk a bit through about how all these different strands are going to work for, for your advisor clients like that?
0: Sure, yeah, not, not, a, not a problem at all. So uh, th- there is method to the madness of all the things that we uh, we've been doing over the last five, six, seven years. I mean, what we set out to do in 2013 was to build a multi-channeled, multi-tenanted platform capability that was really rich in its pension functionality, but could equally deliver the utilities of general investment accounts, ISAs, and the ancillary pieces that come with that. So to, to do that and do it really well, you need a solid technology partnership. We have that with FNZ, and that's the core of our tech stack. But you also need the pensions expertise, and that's why we... Uh, built a position as the leading SaaS provider in the UK. That's very much a high net worth product set that's important to sophisticated investors. And we are the market leader and it has a place. Our full SIP offering, equally important. It's uh, a fundamental to forward retail savings that you have the capabilities for all affluence levels. And as I think you recall, Jack, our, our SIP product is relatively unique in that it can be used at a very simple level for a mass retail investor, in a nutmeg or or somewhere like that, right the way through to the most sophisticated ultra-high net worth who wants to use complex investment instruments as a natural and suitable part of their portfolio. So we're right up there, and uh, I think if we had uh, the Football League doing stats on uh, full SIP levels, it's a close race now between Curtis Banks, James Hay, and uh, and to who the, the largest player is by volume of clients. Uh, I think we have the better momentum of the three, but uh, obviously they've been in the game for decades. We've only been in it for seven years. Um, if, so if you put that then, that's being deployed through technology back into the RAP platforms. And we have the advanced platform and the Embark platform. The differentiation is really, really simple. Advanced is our IFA full service offering. That's where we'll put the maximum service proposition and capability to the IFA market because that meets the maturity of the needs. There are, however, selected uh, IFAs who want to have a more bespoke white label solution or a supporting PSP approach. And that's where the Embark platform, our original capability, sits, because that is a lean mean platform designed to provide uh, background engineering rather than full client experience. And they sit together using similar technology components that are deployed differently. And each of them lean on the pensions expertise of the other parts. And as do the kind of bespoke pension businesses, they will over time pull through the brokerage capabilities of the wrap lap So they intertwine with each other quite mm-hmm. strongly. But really building this complexity was all about having the uh, uh, IP to deliver services in the range of ultra-high net worth right the way down to retail clients through execution-only guided or advised delivery into each of the big four channels that, one wants to participate in. So IFA right. is very important. Retail banking is also important to us. D2C, as a provider of services, is important to us. And the workplace savings arena will increasingly become important. Mm. And all of the things we've been doing are just building blocks towards that kind of strategic fulcrum. Mm.
1: And I guess the ATS position, well, I guess the second last position, is
0: that gonna sit more on the uh, Zurich, the advanced side? No, no, it's all gone onto the Embark platform. Um, and it's very, very brokerage-rich in its capability. And, and the rationale for that transaction was pretty much to enhance our brokerage capabilities. Uh, and we bring that IP back through all of the other strands, as I mentioned.
1: Mm. And I guess looking at the platform market itself, um, Phil, obviously I think it was in a, probably a state of flux before coronavirus happened. We've seen, well, I guess largely driven by themselves, the, the pace of acquisitions have increased in 2019. But there have been obviously some firms put themselves up for sale and and i guess it's been more activity in previous years in the last 18 months or so um coronavirus is obviously going to have a huge impact on all markets on all for sure. sectors how do you see the coronavirus and the, how do you see the platform market coming out of coronavirus do you think we'll see a different world the one we saw at the start of 2020
0: yes i do um but i think it'll take a little while to emerge so i think uh Q1 stats looking at some of the industry commentators suggest uh, what I think is accurate that the platform market held up very well in AUA terms and, uh, and flows. Um, I think we will see a slowdown in retail savings. It's a natural consequence of the economy uh, hitting a recession point, and savings, particularly ISA and GIA leaning platforms, will suffer more than those who are long term savings, i.e., pension ships. Uh, but I think we will see a slowdown in net inflows into the platform world unless there's another trigger from elsewhere that we can't yet see. That will compress pressure on the smaller platform players, inevitably, um, whether that manifests itself in forced pricing reductions and revenue drops or in just a more complex operating environment. I'm I'm not 100% clear, but I think we will see the macro trends continuing, which is a bit of a breakaway of a small group of very large players and a, a kind of combining envelope on the smaller players in the market. As you mentioned from an a, M&A point of view, uh, I, would, I would imagine that we're going to see two, possibly three um, newsworthy trades in the platform space during the course of 2020 uh, being announced. Whether they complete in that timeline is another matter, but I think we will see some trades getting done, and particularly combination trades. Mm.
1: You, in terms of the trades themselves, obviously, you know, you have completed two acquisitions fairly recently, and that is something a lot of platforms have not done. Um, do, do you think the coronavirus itself is likely to really um, kind of defer those trades, or do you think they can be still possible during this time?
0: No, they, can, they the M&A trades can be done. Uh, it makes everything a little, little bit harder, but uh, no, there's no kind of discernible barrier why a normal MA process couldn't happen through lockdown. This podcast is in association with Bailey Gifford. Find out more about their Ranger funds and investment trusts at www.baileygifford.com.
1: Just looking at yourselves again as well, so obviously I think your results came out earlier this week, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I think there was a few interesting takeaways there. From, um, one was you talked about wanting to be a 20, £50 player play in the market in terms of combined AUM in the next three to five years. Um, obviously, that, again, that's a, another ambitious target you've set yourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you kind of expect it to go about achieving this?
0: Well, a okay, good question, Jack. So a uh, couple of things on this. So that there's no point being in this sector or, or any, any form business, frankly, unless you've got ambition and drive to to win and succeed. And uh, uh, that, that's uh, what we've had since day one and continue to have looking forward. The The other piece is actually... It's looking at the gap between 50 and 34, where we are today, so 16 billion growth, let's say, over four years. So can we do a billion net new flow a quarter with the distribution strength that we have and, moreover, the volume of retail flows and movable assets in this market? And in that concept, it looks pretty achievable and normal, uh, fully organically. Now, we're, we're, uh, we're not daft. We have to stay sharp in propositional pricing and client service delivery terms. We have to be cute in how we find new and expanded distribution and how we serve what we've got. Uh, But if we do all of those things, the value of the multi-channel capability we have will start to kick in. uh, And we think it's very achievable. Now, that does rely a little bit on capital markets, uh, having stability and some degree of recovery around the world, because that's a natural push through on AUA levels. If we had a benign capital market, i.e. markets didn't move from where they are today, then I think we'd have a work cut out <laughs> uh, on many fronts, but that's, that's unlikely. History shows that uh, capital markets do go through various cycles and that we will have a positive recovery. So I think, yes, 50 billion is ambitious, but it's an achievable ambition, and we've got all of the uh, kind of foundations in place for us to go for it. Uh, if we don't hit it, then hey, so what? Uh, As long as we've done right by clients, we've grown the business, we've added value for shareholders, and we've given our staff a fun place to work, Uh, frankly, I won't care whether we're 40 billion, 50 billion or 60 billion, uh, because actually driving what matters to each of the stakeholder groups is what it's all about.
1: Mm. And then looking at the accounts as well, something that was also mentioned was um, talking about delivering substantial total shareholder returns, returns to investors. Um, you hold, have a lot more fund managers um, backing you now after your fundraisings in in 2019. Very um, mm-hmm. BlackRock, Franklin Templeton, and one other who I the name escapes me. just. Like NASA. Like NASA, of course. Um, in addition to obviously FNZ, who came on board with a I think a 10 percent stake. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you previously talked to myself and others about floating the business. Um, is that the most like still the most likely route to return? capital to to
0: investors, new investors who come on board? Well, it's a great great question, Jack, and uh, I'll give a little complex answer. So the the beauty of our new corporate investors, and thank you all again for investing, guys, if you're listening, um, is that they don't have an exit view in mind. So they are the ultimate definition of long-term patient capital that wants to have a strong presence and uh, place in the sector with good firms like ours. So that means we have no, no pressure to IPO or exit, and, and they're not looking to take money out. Uh, and that's a great place to be because it aligns to management, who have a similar view. And, uh, and therefore we can look forward being opportunistic and positive uh, either in, to invest organically or inorganically to continue the, the track path and growth of the company. That said, um, uh, you get to a certain scale where actually being listed is quite normal. And you want to provide future flexibility for for everybody who's played a part in the journey. And you want to provide your own staff with access to be able to invest uh, fluidly into what you do. So on that premise, I think it is still the most likely scenario that we go to IPO when the market circumstances uh, are right. And uh, if we carry on with the pace of uh, momentum, growth and uh, success that we've been enjoying recently, and, and we're very fortunate to have, then uh, a, a listing for us will be very, very straightforward, yeah. in our view, Jack. Uh, but we want to do that at the right time. Um, now, from a, a, a shareholder return point of view, uh, the kind of start of the question is, is simple math, right? If you, if you invest a pound, and then by the time you come out, you've made uh, 10 pounds, what happens in the middle around profit and uh, dividends is not hugely important if you're a high growth entity. And that's that's what we are from a stock point of view. We're a high-growth tech entity, and the returns for shareholders are driven by that rather than by dividends or free cash flow. Uh, and that's why these guys were very, uh, very, very quick and very happy to invest in us. Mm.
1: And on, the, I mean, on, on the dividend front, I mean, do, do you think that that is something that you might introduce at some point? I mean, is there is there any kind of date on, on, on when you? Like?
0: If we list, yes, inevitably, it's a natural part. If you're a listed entity, you have to show. Uh, dividends as part of the uh, overall return package and, uh, and look we've got the ability to do that today and to provide free cash flow to do that uh, increasingly going forward uh, we haven't taken a dividend since we started and we don't have that on the agenda so I don't see it in 2020 uh, unlikely in 21 but if we were to list it would become part of the, uh, the storyline mm.
1: and I guess looking at the backers as well I mean you kind of talking about having that flexibility on board from from those guys with no real clear exit date or strategy from them um i mean was that part of the reason you chose to partner with fund managers rather than say a private equity house who, who often uh, you know they have set dates for when they want to return their capital and then, at, a, you know, at a macro
0: at a macro level yes so uh as uh, as a business which it, it has enjoyed its freedom and independence to to a high degree uh, you you want to find investors who are Patient and strategically aligned, so there's something in being invested. It's not just about money. It's it's actually about involvement and engagement. And with a with a number of those investors, we collaborate in the market together as well as having shareholdings in Embark, um, BlackRock, you know, and ourselves have been very active on a number of fronts. And uh, I really enjoy working with the BlackRock guys. Uh, we do most days, uh, but likewise, like Mason, uh, fabulous people to uh, spend time and work with. They have some great investment product that uh, they really haven't really leveraged in the UK just yet, and uh, if we can help them do that, we we will. And of course, F and Z are intrinsically kind of embedded partners in the Embark story, and uh, we in our small way in theirs.
1: Mm, great, so I guess kind of moving uh, so towards close. I think obviously we're talking about yourselves and, and, and how you've been managing this, but obviously the situation. We have ourselves is having a huge impact on your clients, advisors out there. And um, just wanted to, what your thoughts are on, on the advisors who were likely to come out of kind of the coronavirus situation in twenty twenty, and what is in the, you know inevitably a very challenging year. The one, the I, which of the I do you think will come out kind of on top and and, and uh, coming out well on the other side, and, and which of those ones you think might be the ones who who struggle.
0: Well, it's an interesting question. So. Uh... I'm going to cheat again and twist it a little bit, Jack. So I think on the on the winning side of the equation, I think the circumstances play incredibly well to those people who are consolidators and have the right model to to be a consolidator. Uh, so whether we talk about Fairstone, AFH, uh, people of that ilk, I think they're going to do very well uh, in in executing their existing strategies post COVID. Um, Equally at the same time, I think there are some large established players, so Tilney, Bruin, uh, and the like, who've got the scale to have invested in digital technology and can deal with the turbulence that comes off COVID-19. I think they'll also continue to do very well and thrive in these markets. Um, the people who will have a uh, change, smaller end players, who may have been thinking about selling on, may have thought about retirement and all of those things, And I think uh, what we'll really be hitting home is uh, being a small enterprise is fine in a stable market. It's not so easy when the world stops and you don't have the investment capacity for technology, for operating cash flow support and all the things that are required to be smooth in the environment. As much as you want to serve a client, you just can't afford to invest in those things. So that's the time either to get in, i.e. consolidate with somebody, or to get out by selling your enterprise to a a full acquisition consolidator. So for me, I think in in many ways, it just accelerates what was already happening out there. We'll see many more independent firms becoming part of larger hubs uh, or moving to the protection of a network um, to leverage uh, the capacity and need for investment and the coverage of regulatory costs. Um, So it is... uh, it's a shame in many ways because it's a very healthy environment in the IFA space, having lots of small independents because they are innovating in their own way and they're, they're challenging the bigger players to keep uh, right and fair in terms of price and service delivery. But I do think we'll see a consolidation and less players in the market in summary. Mm.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that there will be some big changes kind of happening in the next, the next few months. Um, and, and then just finally, Phil, I think in, a, in some potentially more positive news for, for yourself, is um is your beloved football team, Northern United. Aha, um, excellent.
0: <laughs>
1: yes. Um, yes. slightly away from platforms. I believe that there might have been some some news or potential news that's going to happen uh, uh, with this. And, and for disclosure, I think you embark is the sponsor of Rotherham United. is United.
0: We have sponsored their shirts, yes, and uh, and been involved in supporting the club uh, largely because they're a community football club and not because they're not a commercial enterprise in the traditional sense so uh, we like their values as well as we like uh, supporting them Jack and uh, everything we've done has been aimed to help uh, back up their community efforts uh, back in uh, in Yorkshire there so uh, we've got a lot of time for Rotherham United Uh, they're also my team I do uh, obviously support them and uh, we're sitting at number two in League One uh, at this point of the season when it froze and I would uh, confidently predict that uh, a ball will not be kicked by Rodham United and we will be in the Championship next season uh, once the EFL have uh, ratified their discussions. So uh, another win for the Embark Group being attached to a promoted football team yet again uh, mm. is my hope.
1: And no stress in the playoffs either this year? So. Uh,
0: no, no, no. It's, uh, I may well be uh, found to be uh, ahead of myself, but I confidently predict we will be rolling into the Championship next season with the smallest budget, but with the best financial resilience of any team in that league. Mm-hmm. that's
1: good. Uh, well, Obviously, that might have to have an impact on your position in the platform Premier League as well as when that is announced later in the year as well,
0: I'm sure. Well, the world's moved on, Jack, as you know. So, uh, I think you've been uh, rather harsh on me. I think historically, you've given me Burnley and uh, Huddersfield. Uh, whilst they're northern clubs, uh, mm-hmm. I do yeah. like that element of it. But I think at the very least this season, I should be up in the Newcastle or Manchester United, kind of territory. Yeah, I think we've earned the right for that.
1: Well, that's, uh, you know, obviously there's no lobbying involved in any uh, platform Premier League allowed. And uh, it's a very independent board that makes those decisions as to which uh, platform is as which football club. But obviously, well, the uh,
0: I, at- I, I hear so. I hear so. All I can say is uh, we've done our bit to give you enough strands to think about.
1: And on that, on that note, uh, uh, Phil, thank you so much for joining joining me. It's been a pleasure as always.
0: Likewise, Jackie, it was a pleasure to talk to you, buddy, and uh, great questions again. And uh, I'm very happy to share my views.
1: Brilliant, and and thank you all very much for listening.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Bailey Gifford their podcast series, Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking, brings you in-depth knowledge and challenging points of view from Bailey Gifford's investment managers. Search online for Bailey Gifford Short Briefings.